Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. Welcome back to The Back Porch. In this episode, I continue my interview with Dr. Rick Mars, author of Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered. Last time we talked about the role of emotions in our relationship with God and using the Psalms for lament. This time, we pick up in the middle of that conversation and I ask the question, how do we shift our prayer and reading of the Psalms into a real conversation of God? Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoy the show. And I think that kind of gets back to that question that I'm sort of trying to dance around because I can't ask it well, but how does that, how do we shift into it being a real conversation with God, a real present conversation with God? And that's a really, that those Psalms really helped me do that in an yeah. important way. One of my colleagues, uh, Tim Seleska, just finished writing a, a commentary on Psalm 1 through 50, a very excellent uh, uh, book that I would commend to others as well. Uh, but Tim likes to point out that, that we can sometimes approach Scripture as if it was a job interview. Uh, you know, what can we learn about this person so that we decide whether we want to hang around him for eight hours a day or not? He said, no, Scripture is actually more like or should be approached more like how we talk with our family, how we talk with our spouse, how we talk with loved ones. And we talk with them and things just kind of maybe meander around in different conversational directions, but we're still building a relationship with them as, as that meandering goes along. And when we're in a loving relationship with somebody, sometimes we complain about what they're doing, but that doesn't mean that that ends the loving relationship. It's just saying, hey, I don't think this is right or fair. And that happens sometimes between human beings because we do sin against each other. We can even complain against a holy God uh, when we think that he hasn't been right and fair with us. He's given us the words to, to say in those situations, and we just don't use them adequately. So yeah, the Psalms are a great source, not just the complaint Psalms, but all the other Psalms of how to express our emotions. Yeah, it makes me think of one of the things I heard um, N.T. Wright, I actually, actually, I think, I mean, he just said it. He was the guy I heard it from who said that the Psalms were written for us to inhabit. Mm. And that kind of struck me in a way of it, one of the analogies I've come, like I've used before is that they're almost like the, you know, you listen to a song on Spotify, nobody listens to the radio anymore, but, and you, you come across a, a song that really just captures the, the emotion you're feeling at that time. And it gets... You know, you and that you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna sing this song because this gives me the ability to express and feel the thing I'm really feeling. And I think that's that's how I understand more what the inhabiting the Psalms are like. There are Psalms I'll read, okay, great, didn't mean anything to me today, but six months later I'll read the same Psalm and I'm like, yep, 
that's my song for the week, you know, yeah. like, yes, <laughs> but it, that was a change for me to realize that that's a, it's not the words so much that I'm saying it's the, it's the vehicle for my emotions, I guess. Like it's, it's a really powerful thing. So, okay. I want to preserve time to talk about a different thing, but last question on this. I have heard Christians say, I myself have said that you cannot trust your emotions, but what just from your expertise, your background, your perspective, what, how does that phrase strike you? You can't trust your emotions. What would you say to somebody who says that? It's true in one sense, but it's also true that we can't trust our thoughts. We can't trust our behaviors. We can't trust anything about us because our sinful nature has impacted everything about us. So if we're trusting in something particular in ourselves too much, well, that's called idol worship. You know, first commandment, uh, Luther actually wrote, what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But our tendency is to fear other created things, be it people or events that happen in life. Um, or crave other things, but also trusting in other things. That's why God's word calls us to trust in Jesus over and over and over again. Uh, we trust in him more than we trust our own emotions. Now, that said, we can, can and should pay attention to our emotions because they probably are telling us something about something that's happened to us negatively or positively, if they're positive emotions, that we need to talk through with somebody else. We Americans tend to be so individualistic, we have to think, okay, I'm going to solve all my own problems. Especially we men tend to think like that. Women tend to be a little more relational and conjugal, uh, you know, congregate uh, to each other to to talk about their feelings. We men want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Not, not all men, but that's kind of a 70% true uh, proverb. And yeah, we need to realize that no, we are just a part of a body. We are one small part of a body of Christ, and we need to reach out and be connected with the other parts of that body. Does that help? Yeah, the way this is striking me is a lot of times I come across that in the context of people's image and relationship to who God is and how he's treating them. And my sense is something like, I can I can trust my emotions to tell me how I feel. I mean, I know that's like obvious, but but where we get into trouble is when we start to trust our emotions as if they're telling us something true about objective reality or about God. They may be doing that, but but that's where that healthy skepticism of so, so like a concrete example that I've run across is something like, I'm mad at God, I'm struggling, you know, that there's the complaining because I'm suffering, something bad has happened, and I feel like God has abandoned me. And my sense is, and and to just to be clear, I'm talking for, about my own self here, right? So that emotion is a real emotion. It's telling me something true about myself, probably telling me something in my experience true about my past, <laughs> how I've been hurt, but, it, but I'm learning more to realize that it's not telling me something true about the reality of God. I don't know. Is that making any sense? Am I? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, again, you, we do, I think, underestimate how trauma has impacted so many of our lives. You know, it, it's just not everybody has had some one horrible thing happen to them, but we know we live in a traumatized world, a world that is groaning in creation, Romans 8, 
the Holy Spirit's even intervening for us uh, with groans that words cannot express. They talk about emotions. Does the Holy Spirit have an emotional side to him? Well, that comes out quite clearly in in Romans 8, I think. So uh, we're looking for logical words to use, and the Holy Spirit's communicating in some capacity that goes beyond words. I love that idea that the Spirit groans, and I hadn't connected that to in this traumatized world, I hadn't really realized that here we are trying to put words and rational thought to it, and the Spirit is Spirit is on our behalf, going beyond that in a way. That's amazing. Um, so I do want to I want to talk to you about your book a little bit and ask you first. Well, tell us briefly what it's about. <laughs> yeah, well, we we've, we've been sort of talking about some of the subject matter of the book already in in the whole interview, uh, making Christian counseling more Christ centered. I realized when I first started getting into this field, that there was a burgeoning Christian counseling world, but the very few Christian counselors, almost none, knew Luther's soul care theology. But Luther's soul care theology is just rich, and we've kind of talked about it already, the theology of the cross. Uh, we haven't talked about proper distinction in law and gospel, but the first half of my book is just kind of exposing readers Christian counselors, other pastors, seminarians, to his soul care theology. And then the second half of the book is, now here are some counseling techniques that I've been using or other people I know have been using uh, in our, well, again, I'm getting on close to 40 years of, of working in the counseling field. Here are some techniques I've been using that flow out of that that you've probably not ever thought of before because you didn't know Luther's soul care theology. And so it's not the be all and end all, you know, what, what I did in the second half of the book is kind of to say, here is a start starting place. Now then let's keep this conversation going because I would love to see more Lutheran and non-Lutheran Christian counselors. And and there are like 50,000 members of the American Association of Christian Counseling. It is a huge professional organization, but it's probably less than 1% had been exposed to Luther's soul care theology in a significant way. Uh, and so I'm just trying to expose a greater number of them to that because the Christian counselors that I've exposed Luther's soul care theology to have always been grateful to me. So I hadn't realized how useful this was, but we Lutherans just haven't done a very good job of exposing our non-Lutheran friends to Luther's soul care theology. And this is my attempt to to do this. Yeah. So. And I, I will just add, I mean, I am neither a counselor nor a pastor. Um, I'm certainly more well-read in the counseling world than your average bear, but by by no means a professional of any kind. And it's the book is not uh, was not above my head. I, I especially appreciated the second half where it is more pragmatic because one of the things that I've always struggled with and wished I could find more of is how do you, in a sense, how do you apply the insights of the Lutheran soul care theology to an actual life? The second question I want to ask is like, the title is, what about the soul care theology of Luther is more Christ-centered? And and I know you talk about this in the book. How is that different than what people call like biblical counseling? Hmm. Yeah. I think I was just reading a book that's just come out from a biblical counseling perspective that says it's gospel-centered and uh, going, oh, they they missed Luther here, they missed Luther here, I wish they would have uh, read my book before they wrote their book or whatever. Again, Luther talked about these two kinds of righteousness, 
and we tend to get them mixed up. And that's a, a very important. Again, I didn't know this when I was in my 20s and 30s. Uh, there's two kinds of righteousness has been something we've Lutheran theologians have been kind of reinvigorating in their teaching in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, Bob Kolb and, and others, um, uh, Chuck Aaron and so forth, have been really focused on this. Uh, Joel Bierman, my colleague uh, here. But yeah, we have this completely vertical righteousness from God that we receive passively. We can do nothing to earn it, to deserve it. Uh, it's purely by grace alone, uh, through trusting in Christ's cross and resurrection alone. So that vertical, you know, we can't do anything. We have no responsibility other than just, thank you, Lord. I trust you. I believe this is true. I believe that I'm going to spend eternity with you uh, because of what Jesus has done for me. But then we have horizontal righteousness, and I'm throwing my hand sideways in our podcast. The listeners can't uh, can't see that, but uh, imagine hand motions vertically and sideways, so horizontally. We live in lives of love flowing out from that gospel that has come to us so that we want to love our neighbors. Anybody that God puts in front of us, the good works he's prepared in advance for us, to do Ephesians 10. And uh, we don't do that, that love, um, that horizontal righteousness anywhere close to being perfect, but it's our result of the vertical righteousness. So there's so many people that have gotten those two sort of mixed up. And when they have, when their lives aren't perfect, they think, oh, okay, I, I, I guess I'm not a good enough Christian after all. They forget that, no, you're right. You're not a good enough Christian. You're always going to be a failure as a Christian. That's why you go back to the vertical righteousness. That's where your identity actually flows from. And all you can do is trust in that. You can't make it happen. God has made you one of his children not because you deserve to be his child, but because he adopted you knowing all your flaws and he still loves you today. So uh, keep going out and being as good a horizontal child as you can to the other kids, but know that you're going to mess that up and you go back to your father and say, Father, please forgive me for the sake of Jesus Christ again and again and again, knowing that we need that forgiveness on a daily basis. And that's what so many counselors also mix up. They point people back. I heard somebody say this recently uh, to using scripture, kind of like Jesus did when he was being tempted by the devil, you know, use it as a, a way of pushing back against the devil. And that's a good way to, to use scripture. But if that's the primary way you're using scripture, you're not applying the gospel to yourself in your own need for that forgiveness, for that renewal of honor, uh, because we are his honored children, not children of shame that he has left us with. I think we underplay shame, and I kind of talk about that in the book as well, that we tend to talk, um, Reformationists like Presbyterians and Lutherans tend to talk so much about guilt and forgiveness, we forget that shame was actually the first emotion that was felt in the garden, and is probably more predominant in scripture than guilt is. Uh, both go together. Shame is kind of, guilt is I've done something bad, and I feel really bad about it. Shame is I am someone bad. Um, and I can't do anything about that. So, uh, but even the shame, you know, Jesus went to the cross scorning its shame, Hebrews. And, um, uh, again, I just, a lot of that just comes out then in the book. And again, I'm not saying it's, it's a finished, well, it's a finished product book, but I'm wanting to continue the conversation about 
what are other areas of Christian counseling we need to um, apply this to? Okay, so here's my layman's understanding. What's Christ-centered about what you're articulating, or at least one of the things that's Christ-centered, like the reason we would use that phrase, is something like, even in my experience of receiving counseling, there's a lot of work done on even sometimes just behavioral modification. And that's good. That needs to be done. I'm not saying anything bad about that. That's horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something lacking when what what's Christ-centered about what you're articulating and what Luther's, Lutheran soul care theology articulates is there is a fundamental reality, vertical reality relationship with God that kind of cures a deeper issue that, that secures my identity in Christ. Right. It, it specifically in his, that I am a beloved son of God, that he has adopted me. And what seems to be different than that in what I understand some of biblical counseling to be is it's like biblical counseling is sometimes applying biblical principles to your behavior and to your relationships and telling you how to do things. Whereas what you're saying is, yes, that's good. But the more important part is what scripture tells us about how God relates to us and what he thinks of us and who we are because of what he did. And that's like from that place is where the other stuff can happen. And and, right. and that's got to be first, not second. Right, right. That, that people who are suffering from depression or anxiety disorders or schizophrenia or PTSD also tend to be asking very theological questions as, why isn't God healing me from this? And only the gospel can apply in those vertical sorts of questions. There's a lot of other horizontal stuff that they're probably going to need to have a, a good counselor, maybe not even a Christian counselor would be skilled at helping with some aspects of PTSD or schizophrenia. Um, but the vertical things, the vertical questions that they're asking, does God really love me? Why doesn't he take this uh, away if he loved me? Those are only answered in the gospel, and that's how Christ is centered. And I, I will say, too, you know, I kind of implied that my book was only for pastors or Christian counselors. I've had a number of lay people read it who then said, yes, it was very helpful to me as well. And a few of them that have actually, they're seeing counseling or they're getting counseling from a Christian that doesn't understand this, and they've loaned the book, I think, to their Christian counselor and said, this is kind of what i see as important in my Christian life. Uh, can we apply some of these things in the counseling work we do together? And I applaud, again, I want pastors to loan it to to uh, Christian counselors, but I want parishioners uh, that may be uh, lay people that may be seeking Christian counseling to loan it to a Christian counselor and have a, have a conversation with them about it as well. So, Yeah. A lot of the ways I've experienced counseling, and I've had great counselors, but there's like it's more like advice and we're going to fix it. We're going to help you deal with some emotions, have some better strategies to deal with things. You know, for me, that was really helpful in dealing with anxiety. But at the end of the day, what Christian counseling really, where it centers is that like the actual reality of God and what, and Christ, what he's done is such a fundamentally, it's it's not just about helping you have strategies for dealing with emotion. It's actually like, well, the real issue, the, the underlying issue under all of that stuff is already secured and taken care of. Really, truly, honestly, this is objective reality. Jesus is actually real and cares about you and has adopted you. And like some of the strategies I need are to learn to, to live in that, <laughs> mm-hmm. to accept that, to internalize and consent to that is a big word for me. Yeah. So that's 
like to me, that was one of the things that came through really clearly was what it means to be Christ-centered is here's here's the core of what's going on. And, you know, those questions that you're asking theological are actually in some ways more important than any of the other questions. So yeah, I remember one woman who I knew was struggling with severe mental disorder. She wasn't a member of my congregation, but she was coming and visiting and uh, um, probably related to schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder. I wasn't quite sure what her diagnosis was, but she came up to me as a pastor and said, Pastor, can I take communion with your congregation? I said, sure, dear, you can always take communion with us. And she said, oh, thank you. I always feel so much more forgiven after I've had the Lord's Supper. She had a strong faith in Jesus. She knew she was struggling with mental disorders, but yet her faith in Jesus was solid in the objectivity of Christ and his sacrament, which is given for the forgiveness of her sins, uh, Matthew 26. If people with severe mental disorders can have that kind of assurance, then the rest of us that have normal sorts of Onfectung, I call it. Well, Luther called it uh, struggles uh, with all the the uh, suffering in life. That the suffering in life leads us to question God's love for us. That's the onfectung that Luther talked about. Uh, if we can be regularly assured of Christ's love for us through His Word, and that's the only way that it does come to us. If we can be regularly assured of that, then we can live out our identity even if we are struggling with PTSD, schizophrenia, depression, whatever. So, yeah. Well, there's a ton more that I'd love to talk to you about, but we're, we're out of time. Um, I, I want to finish with this. This is a question I try to ask everybody. Is there a question that I should have asked you that you can think <laughs> of that, that I didn't ask? I mean, and you can say no, that's fine. But is there something that like kind of comes to mind? Like, man, I wish he would have asked this, or he should be asking this question. Um, Nothing directly other than I just say the book is published by westbowpress.com and people can get it directly uh, directly there. I have learned uh, through the publication process that if you buy something through Amazon, well, Jeff Bezos gets about two-thirds of that. So I encourage people to go directly to the publisher and, and purchase the book. It's the same price as you get it on, on Amazon. Uh, and then the the money that goes to me in royalties and so forth, I am donating. My wife and I have chosen to donate to two pastoral care, soul care groups called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, uh, which is a peacemaking group, and uh, Doxology, which teaches pastors and congregation members about the importance of care of souls. Uh, those two groups, I think, are very important. So we don't keep the money that we make from the book's proceeds. We donate it to to other people. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to donate to Jeff Bezos then buy it on Amazon, uh, if you want to donate towards uh, some Christian group, then go directly to Westbo and. Okay. Yeah. And, and of course I'll put links in the show notes to that, to Westbo and to all, and we've talked about a couple other things too. So I'm going to link to that stuff as well, but um, thanks Rick. I really appreciate this. This was enlightening. Thank you, Brandon. This was a lot of fun. Good to, good to see you again. Good to hear your voice again and blessings on, on your ministry here as well then. So, uh, I, yeah, well, thank you. And to those who are listening, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. 
Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate.